0: Right now, we are in the uh, fifth week of a series that we're calling Foundation. Um, Has this series been helpful to you so far? Uh, We've been walking through foundational beliefs of Christianity using our uh, statement of belief kind of as a structure of topics to have us walk through. And uh, I want to kind of give you where we've been so far, and then today we're going to talk about salvation. Salvation. Um, But here's where we've been so far. We started in the first week by talking about God, and we said that God is creator, God is eternal, God exists as Trinity, that is to say that there are three persons that make up the person that we know to be God. There's one God, but three persons, that is what's known as the doctrine of the Trinity, And, and really the bottom line of the Trinity is that God is deeply relational. But we didn't stop there. The Bible doesn't stop there either. That God is not only relational in that he wants a relationship with you through Jesus Christ, but, but God is love. And so God is creator, eternal, trinity, which means he's relational, and then God is love. And then we, the second week we talked about Jesus. And we said that Jesus is 100% divine, and he's 100% human, which that unique makeup of who he is allows him to win for us our salvation, which we're going to talk in more detail about today. Uh, But then he goes on as our intercessor, that that is, Jesus is praying for you, he's rooting for you, he he wants that relationship to be reconciled, he desires for you to break free from the chains of that addiction, he wants you to find victory over that that attitude or uh, perception or perspective that has haunted you all of your life. Jesus is your intercessor, and then one day he will... Return as king. After that, we talked about the Holy Spirit. And I uh, said that the, the way in which the Spirit works in your life is a spirit cycle. And we talked about the, how our brains are continually trying to form habits based on a habit cycle. That there's a cue, uh, then there's a routine, and then there's the reward. And how there's the cue, I need to lose weight, so I'm going to run. And then there's the routine, I'm going to put on my neon shoes and lace up and my sporty pants and go running. And then, then the reward is I'm losing weight and feeling better uh, and all of those kinds of things. And the, the habit can be good running. It can also be bad, like Cinnabon, who puts their you know, restaurants away from the food court. So the, the cue will be the smell, the sweet, delicious smell of the cinnamon roll wafting across your nostrils. And then the routine is, I'll have one or two, and then the reward is you get to taste this yummy cinnamon roll. Uh, You guys hungry? (laughs) And what I said was that that is, uh, that, that, that just as our brains are forming habits based on a habit cycle, that the way in which the Spirit wants to work in our life is in a spirit cycle. And that is to say that God First of all, his spirit wants to purify us. And then he wants to prompt us toward greater obedience or specific obedience. Uh, and then when we do those two things, it will produce fruit in our lives. And um, And so we talked about the spirit cycle. Purify, prompt, and then produce. And then last week we talked about being human. Uh, and we also said that the human experience is is very much like the experience of our very first uh, brothers and sisters, Adam and Eve, who at creation experienced tremendous innocence in their lives. But then through sin came a profound wounding in their lives. And then the wounding led to a struggle, that there was a struggle to return back to the innocence uh, and a longing for recreation. Uh, And that that was, in fact, the experience of all of us, that all of us experienced an age of innocence, then we felt the effects of sin which wounded us, that all of us have wounds that we carry, uh, and then that introduces a struggle and a longing uh, to return to innocence. Well, today I want to talk to you about salvation. So now that you're all caught up, and uh, all of you are now asleep, you guys got to be, you got... I'm going to make you get up and do jumping jacks if you don't, if you don't liven up just a little bit for me. Uh, and so today I want to talk about salvation. Are you ready to hear from God's word today? Yes. All right. That's, that's a lot better. That is very, very encouraging. It is a lonely place up here. Uh, so uh, that's very encouraging. So let's talk about salvation today. And I, I want to warn you right up front that uh, there's probably some things that you'll hear today that you'll have to go home and think about that maybe you've never heard before. Uh, but what I want to offer you is the full gospel, and uh, my, my, that's always my heart and my intention. And so I, I uh, ask you to open our hearts and minds to what the Lord would want to say to us. And, and I want to set the stage by telling you that although we tend to have a very low view of ourselves, Scripture has a very high view of humanity. For example, in Psalm 139 verse 4, it says, I praise you. That is, us talking to God, us offering our praise up to God. God, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And your works, that is, your creative work of creating us, your works are wonderful. And I know that full well. That I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Psalm 8, verse 5 says, You, have, you that being God, have made them, that being humans, Just a little lower than the angels. And you have crowned them with glory and with honor. Did you know that that at creation, God crowned you with glory and with honor? Scripture has a very high view of humanity. In Genesis chapter 2, which we talked a little bit about in last week's sermon, we, we realized that the crown of all creation... Is human beings, that that we are the only part of all creation to bear the image of God. We are the image bearers of the very creator of the universe. Scripture has a very high view of humanity. And yet, we must balance that, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We're crowned with glory and honor. We're we're the the crown of creation and bearing the image of God. We must also balance that with, The fact that we are, at the very same time, a broken people, desperately in need of salvation. The scriptures are very clear about both sides of the bar. And sometimes we, we just talk about our brokenness, and that's all we talk about. But God wants to take that brokenness and restore us to the glory and the honor. And so one example of this, and, and this is all throughout Scripture, uh, in the same way that it's all throughout Scripture that we're, there's a very high view of humanity, it is at the very same time that we are broken, that we struggle, that we stand in desperate need of salvation and rescue. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 says, There is no one that is righteous, not even one. There is no one that is righteous, not even one. And I think this sets the stage for us uh, in a very profound way because I I want to say to you, essentially what I want to say to you today, and I'm going to give it to you up front in one sentence and then kind of unpack it. But what I want to say to you today is that we are far more broken than we could ever imagine. And that grace is, is far more beautiful than we could have ever hoped for. That's, that's essentially, if you don't hear anything else today, I want you to, to hear that, that we are far more broken than we think. And grace is far more powerful and far more beautiful than we could ever imagine. And so that's, that's ultimately the bottom line of what I want to, to say to you today. But let's, let's unpack this a little bit. Because seeing the problem of our brokenness and our need of salvation and our need of rescue, uh, the modern church went about to, to dis- discern a way of how to communicate the good news of Jesus Christ to, to the people, to the people that would seek God. And by the modern church, I don't mean the contemporary church. I mean the church that was born out of the age of modernity. Just like right now, we're sort of moving as a as a culture and as a world. We're moving out of the age of modernity into the age of post-modernity, uh, which carries all sorts of things that may or may not be true. Uh, but we cannot deny the fact that our world is shifting. Our culture is shifting. But coming out of the age of modernity, the church had to communicate. Had to decide how do we communicate the good news of the gospel uh, to people? Well, part of what modernity did is it, it broke everything down in terms of of science. And so, if it couldn't be proven by the scientific method, then it wasn't true. And the other thing that modernity did is it took a very communal culture where the family unit was was essential. That if 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 the father, for example, Uh, ...would make a decision, then the whole family, the whole clan, extended family, without question, would would follow in that direction. There were decisions, everything was done as the family unit, or as the tribe, or as very communal. What modernism did then, is it made everything very individualistic. And so coming out of the age of modernity the church said well how do we communicate the good news of the gospel and ultimately boiled down to this you need to accept Christ as your personal lord and savior and you will be saved and saved was the was was code or was equal for going to heaven when you die so accept the lord jesus as your personal lord and savior and then you'll go to heaven when you die and it was very individualistic it was very personalized it was very privatized. My faith is just between me and God. It's not between anybody else. Don't bother me about your faith. I won't bother you about your faith. And, and let's just all kind of just do our thing between me and God because it doesn't. the community doesn't really matter. That was coming out of the age of modernity. So are you with me still? All right. So the focus of the Christian faith and what salvation meant ultimately then was leaving the physical in favor of something spiritual or non-physical. And so it was something that was purely between you, uh, you and God, me and God, and it was this exchange in which I could eventually trade the physical, which was inherently suspect and bad, for the non-physical, which was spiritual and all good. And so the predominant metaphor for salvation coming out of the modern church was evacuation. This was the metaphor that was used. Salvation meant that one day I will leave this place in favor of another place and a better place. And uh, this, no doubt, is how many of you have heard salvation taught and communicated throughout your life. Uh, This, while not being untrue, does lend itself to particular problems. Um, So, this is more of a teaching that we're doing. I'm not really preaching yet. I will get there. For those of you that have, you know, are miss like where, where is it? Where he's screaming and kind of jumping up and down. Don't worry, we'll get there. Okay, but I want to, I want to set a stage. And uh, so, hang, so hang with me. Uh, welcome to Emmaus Road Seminary. Um, so, so the problems with this whole framework of salvation is this: that the Bible says. A lot about God's kingdom coming. It says a lot about new creation. It says a lot about being made new. It says a lot about God, that our sure hope in God's good future. It says a lot about that, but it says very little, or I would argue practically nothing, about going to heaven when you die. Uh, see, because we, when we hear God's kingdom, or we, when we hear the the the, the kingdom of God, or uh, the heavenly kingdoms of God, or all these kind of phrases, we assume because we've kind of been culturally taught that God is, that the Bible is talking about us sort of being off into some disembodied existence in a faraway heaven. But in fact, it, it's not really talking about that. And so the Bible doesn't say anything about going to heaven when you die, but it says a lot about being made new. It says a lot about the world, the cosmos being made new. It says a lot about God's kingdom coming to earth as in heaven. And, and so what the modern church did is it made salvation only a personal uh, and only a privatized decision. And what I want to say to you today is that your salvation is personal, but it's not private. Your salvation is, is personal, but it isn't private. And what happened when we privatized salvation is that we got tons and tons of Christians who felt no need to be part of a community. Because as long as I'm good with God, as long as God and I are good, then the community is is sort of of second importance. And this is a pretty large departure from the world of the Bible and what the Bible teaches in terms of our salvation. I know I'm doing a lot of kind of groundwork here, so stick with me. And so the result was we privatized salvation and we we got a whole bunch of Christians who weren't part of a community. And then it produced the proliferation of the lie that my faith doesn't involve anyone else. How many of you have heard that at some point or another, that your faith doesn't really involve anyone else? It's just between you and God. Well, I want to tell you again that while your faith is deeply personal, it isn't private. That, that your faith affects the people around you, or the lack of faith in Christ affects the people around you. We are inherently communal. And what, the, what modernity tried to tell us is that we were all an island unto ourselves and deeply individual. In fact, the term that we translate, the word that we translate into the English word individual... Uh, is a word that means autonomous or not dependent upon anyone else, and I think that we could all say that none of us are completely autonomous and not dependent on anyone else we 're all dependent on someone, the only true individual is God who doesn 't need anyone to love him in return or anything like that, but desires that and so we've we 've really got it we 've really got it wrong and so Salvation and faith became issues that were personal and private. And sure, we might let others know about our decision to follow Christ. We might raise our hand in a service. We might even come to the altar. But in practice, it was something that was just between me and God. And so salvation was privatized. And then salvation was used as guilt alleviation. That salvation was, became really about me and saving me from my guilt. Salvation was promoted on very selfish grounds it was it was saving me from my guilt it was what what god can give to me he can give me all of these things i'll be free from my guilt i'll avoid hell etc 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 these are all very good and all very true things but they miss the part about salvation not just being the benefit that you get from god but then offering our lives back in return in service to god and so we've had this whole generation of Christians growing up believing that I am just in a position of receiving from God, not being a conduit for God. Are you with me? Salvation became, if it's privatized and it's only a personal exchange between me and God, then there's no reason to then go on and express my salvation out into the world. It's just, oh, great, I got my ticket on the heaven bus. Isn't that good? Now I'm not going to concern myself with anyone else. I hope they get their ticket. And so we have, while we haven't quite gotten salvation wrong, we haven't gotten the full counsel of Scripture when it comes to this important subject. So what I want to do today is declare to you that salvation is not about you. It is about Christ. And I want to declare to you that you are far more broken than you think. And the grace of God is far more beautiful than you can imagine. And um, so, now that I've thoroughly confused you, and all of you are like, maybe I should not have come to church today. Let's look at Romans chapter 8. Eighteen through twenty-four, Romans chapter 8, 18 through 24. Now, for those of you that are accustomed to using your uh, smartphone or tablet to follow along with us, I can tell you that the version, the, the website that we used to build those notes was uh, broken this week. We've tried it several times to build the outline for you and make that available so it's not available today. So, uh, so there should be a Bible with physical pages somewhere in front of you. Or along the seats, or something, and then lucky for you, we have also. Well, actually, I didn't give them the scripture. If they want to bring it up, they can. But it's Romans eight, chapter uh, Romans eight, verse eighteen, and I want to read through twenty four. And the point I want to make here is that salvation is much bigger than we have imagined it to be. Let's let's read Uh, together. You can follow along with me as I read. It says, "I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing." For we know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up until the present time. And not only so, but we ourselves, who are the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we eagerly await for our adoption as sons and the redemption of our bodies. For in or into this hope, we were saved. For into this hope, we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all for who hopes for what he already has. But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. The point that I want to make here is that we have often, in our effort to communicate the good news of the gospel to individuals that have been come out of modernity, we have declared that salvation is only for you. And you alone. And what this passage states is that the blood of Jesus has reconciled the world to himself. And that is to say that it doesn't just include you and I as human beings, but that creation itself is longing for God's new world to break in. And that creation itself is in decay. Because of the brokenness of our world. And creation itself then is benefit from the blood of Jesus. And I know this is kind of deep and kind of heady, but I think this is really important. Salvation is for creation itself, as well as any person that will come to Christ through faith. In other words, let me say it this way. The effect of sin is much larger than we could imagine. And the scope of salvation is far more reaching than we have previously imagined. Another way of saying this is that we are more broken than we think in the grace of God is better and more beautiful than we could have hoped. In other words, salvation isn't just about you and your personal relationship with God. Salvation is about God who is at work to redeem all of creation. That the salvific work of Jesus Christ on the cross does not just cover us as humans, but it brings about the recreation and redemption of the entire world. And this is the hope that we were saved into this hope that declares that salvation isn't just a private exchange between you and God so that you can get out of here someday, but this hope that declares that God is on a rescue mission for the world, creation longs for it, we long for it, and we wait in hope for it to come. And then central to then what God is doing in the world is placing you personally in right relationship with God. Does that make sense? Did salvation for some of you just get bigger? Hopefully. I don't see much response. (laughs) But the Bible is clear that the effects of sin have reached even into creation itself, which means that the blood of Jesus has reached in there as well. To redeem it, let me give you an example. This is a, you gotta hang with me, this is kind of a corny example, but when Amy and I lived in Kansas City, we would often go to uh, Arkansas to go rock climbing and hiking and all of that. And some of you were like, really? Arkansas? It's actually quite beautiful in places. Um, and so we, would, uh, we had this, uh, this guidebook that would tell you where all the waterfalls were. Uh, in Arkansas. And uh, it would not, there was no, often there were no trails to these water, waterfalls. They just gave you GPS coordinates. And so you would park along the side of a road or at a parking lot or a trailhead and then you would just take your GPS coordinates and then just start hiking into the woods to find this waterfall. And we called it waterfall hunting. <laughs> Lord help us. It was free and we were broke. So don't look at me with those judgmental eyes. And so we would go waterfall hunting. And uh, I can tell you that when we went waterfall hunting in God's uh, broken world of Arkansas, that had, where creation had fully felt the effects of sin, we never found a waterfall that was flowing. Every time the waterfall was dry, which meant it was a cliff. And not a waterfall. It, we would we would find the GPS coordinates. We'd be standing in the spot. And there was a picture in the guidebook of what the waterfall used to look like or should have looked like or one day did look like. And we were staring at nothing but a rock cliff. And so we're like, well, let's go to the next one. And every waterfall we went to. And I was just in those moments. And I was just beginning to sort of understand and, and be, study some of this Uh, some of these ideas that I'm presenting to you today, and I just thought, you know, this is evidence of God's broken world, where waterfalls dry up. And in God's new world, there would be a waterfall flowing with all of the riches of God's beauty in front of us now instead of dirt. And then uh, we went waterfall hunting yesterday at uh, Rocky Mountain National Park, And we went hunting with about 6,000 other people along a very well-marked trail. (laughs) So we didn't have to hunt very hard for the waterfalls. And it was quite quite beautiful. But the point I'm trying to make (laughs) is that creation itself longs for the redemption of God. And that salvation is much larger than we have previously thought it to be. And what God then is doing in the world, where he's seeking to not evacuate us from this place, but renew this whole place and us in the midst of it. What God seeks to do in the whole world, he seeks to do for you personally. And part of what God is doing in the, the whole world is placing us in right relationship with him. And so there, it's very, very personal, but it isn't private. It isn't private. And so I want, to, uh, I want to give you two metaphors for salvation that the Bible uses uh, a lot. and uh, Because the Bible never uses the metaphor of evacuation for salvation, but rather two metaphors that are really used to communicate this idea of salvation are healing and liberation. Healing and liberation. Or you can understand this as God as healer and God as liberator. God as healer and God as, as liberator. In the ancient world, salvation was... Um, Hardly ever considered to be spiritual or only spiritual. In other words, in the ancient world, when the scripture talks about someone being saved, it was always firmly grounded in real life. It was never understood to be just a spiritual exchange between a soul and God that would somehow get him out of this world one day. Being saved in scripture is always firmly grounded in real life. Real life and so to be saved often meant to be rescued from some sort of calamity or misfortune. Often, the Bible talks about people being saved from shipwreck, being saved from their enemies in conflict, etc etc and one of the most common uses of being saved was it was re- it referred to a medical healing. How many of you have read scriptures in the Gospels where Jesus heals someone and then you get this really weird thing that it says and then they were saved and to us that makes hardly no sense because we make such a distinction between saved being a spiritual transaction between me and God and then the physical healing and we can never connect the dots and we say, well, why, when this person was just healed, why would they be saved? Don't they first need to say the salva- prayer of salvation? Don't they need to do all of these things that we have understood to be salvation? But saved isn't just in the ancient world or in the Bible. Is not just this spiritual transaction between the, an individual and God. It is a more holistic way of talking about Healing. And so oftentimes they were healed medically. But what you don't understand is that in the ancient world, if you had a medical condition, if you had a physical medical condition, this had deep spiritual and social implications for your life. Let me explain. If someone had leprosy, which is not a particular disease of the skin, it is any disease of the skin in the Bible, was, was thrown into one category, leprosy. If you had a skin disease or a skin uh, issue of some kind, you were declared unclean socially, which means you couldn't enter the city gates, which means you couldn't go to the temple to worship. And so if you had a physical condition, you were then brought into a condition of social poverty and spiritual poverty. You were spiritually broke because you couldn't go and worship at the temple. And so this one physical condition that needed to be healed had all kinds of implications for your life. Namely, socially and spiritually. And so Jesus would come along and he would heal this person. And, this, and the Bible declares that in those moments, that person is saved. That in their healing, their sins are forgiven. In other words, when Jesus heals someone, their physical ailment, the Bible is not just talking about God being, Jesus being a good doctor. He's talking about Jesus being a savior who heals this person holistically in their life. Let me give you an example. In Acts chapter three, it tells the story of a lame beggar who sat at the city gate, unable to enter the city, unable to go into the temple, because he was lame, he was not, he was declared unclean, and therefore could not go and worship, therefore had all kinds of, of uh, social implications for his life, so he was financially broke, he was socially broke, he was spiritually broke, and Peter, through the power of the Holy Spirit, comes upon him and heals him, and he gets up, and walks and they go to the temple together this this man who was not allowed into the city was not allowed into the temple gates was forced to beg at the city gate for any kind of money to go and buy food or anything else this man who once was was stricken with poverty in every imaginable way was healed physically and because of that was healed holistically and so they walk into the temple together and with amazement, people recognize this person as being the beggar at the gate and they stand in amazement of all that God has done. In Acts chapter three, verse 16 says, by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and have known was made strong and in Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him, he has been completely healed as all of you can see. You see, salvation is not sort of painted into a picture of just a spiritual transaction. It's painted in this picture of much more, much more holistic work of God. And so the metaphor, then, healing then, is God setting things right. God setting things right. And the metaphor for salvation is, is one of complete healing, not just spiritual healing. Um, God's work In you is for the purpose of healing your whole person. Mm -hmm. And and for those of you that are just here today and you're exploring faith or you're not really sure about faith or you're new to the faith, I, I I want you to help that message ring true and ring clear in your life and in your heart. That God's work in your life is for your complete healing. God desires to renew you in such a way that you would be called and declared a brand new creation. God doesn't just, isn't just interested in some sort of spiritual transaction that ensures that your, that your post-mortem hope is secure. Yes, it is that. Hear me, church. It is that. But there's this whole other part of what salvation is that God wants to do in our lives that we've missed because of the way in which we've talked about salvation. Salvation is much larger than we could ever imagine. Jesus is the healer. He wants to heal you holistically in your life. He is not interested in just making sure you get a ticket to heaven. He's interested in healing your attitudes and giving you victory over addiction. He's interested in, in forming and shaping your heart in such a way that you can be in right relationship with other people, that you can be a good friend, that you can be a good spouse, that you can operate in the world in such a way that it would declare His goodness and His glory. And how we've missed that by privatizing salvation and reducing it just to a transaction so that I have some sort of post-mortem hope. Because... One of the primary metaphors for salvation is Jesus as healer. The other one is Jesus as liberator. Healing is is God setting things right. And uh, liberator is God freeing us from the oppression of evil. Scripture is very clear about that there is a battle going on for your heart. That there is an enemy of your life. There is the enemy... Satan the serpent the dragon he's given lots of images in scripture he wants to derail your faith he he wants you to he wants to steal your victory the victory that is already yours in Christ the devil wants to whisper into your ear and lie to you as though it's not secure in Christ and he wants to steal it he wants to take it the scripture is clear that that we are oppressed by this evil one. And we need liberation. We need rescue. And thank God that he is our liberator. He is the one who desires to rescue us. We need the forces of evil in our lives to be defeated once and for all. And the Bible has a lot to say about that. Colossians chapter 1, 13 through 14 says, He has rescued us from the power of darkness. He has rescued us from the power of darkness. He has liberated us from the forces of darkness. We have been liberated from the enemy. That means the enemy doesn't have any power in your life unless you offer it to him. Unless you give it to him. Unless you you believe the lies. Jesus is our true liberator. And, And we always must balance this, though, with the fact... That we are human. That we struggle. And it's not a shortcoming on God's ability to free us. The struggle comes from us liking to take things back. The struggle comes from, is, is just like the Israelites who after being freed from Egypt longed for, the, for slavery because it was more comfortable and more familiar. And so after being freed they said, actually I, I think we might actually want to go back to imprisonment. Because this freedom thing is unfamiliar. You see, God is truly our, our liberator. He has rescued us from the power of darkness. He has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have to re- the redemption and the forgiveness of sins. You see, salvation is pictured as both liberation from the chains of evil and the consequences of our sinful action and anticipation of new creation. That's what liberation means. I'm freed from this one thing so that I can anticipate the full freedom. This is very, last week I talked about how in Christ the struggle, the capital S struggle can be over. But there's a little S struggle that we'll always fight and that we'll always go through until the full redemption that God brings in our life and in the world. And so this speaks into that perfectly. Liberation is this freedom from the big S struggle so that we can anticipate the full redemption that God is doing in the world, the full salvation that we long for and that creation longs for as well. He has rescued us from the power of darkness. We've been transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. And it is in, his, in this son, in this Jesus, that we have redemption and the forgiveness of of sins. Re- uh, Revelation chapter twelve seven through 10 says, we now we have the salvation and the power and the kingdom of, God, of our God and the authority of his Messiah for the accuser of our comrades has been thrown down he who accused us day and night before our God. Our accuser has been defeated. See, there are forces of evil that are out to derail your life and your faith in ways that will destroy you and we need God to liberate us. We need God to rescue us, and to set us free from these evil forces. And the Bible says that God has done just that. I think the good news is far better than we've communicated it. I want to close with one final thought. And that is that Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, tells us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And that seems really odd that we are to work out our own salvation because drilled into our minds and in our heads is that salvation is a free gift given to us and appropriated in our life only through faith by grace. And there's nothing that we could do to earn it. And that is absolutely true. There is nothing that you can do to earn your salvation. It is a free gift that God in Christ has offered to us But we've become so scared of earning our salvation, we have totally let go of effort within our salvation. In other words, we've become quite lazy in regards to our salvation. We have turned it into, as I've said, a privatized spiritual transaction. And once the transaction is complete, I'm good to go and nothing more is to be done. We've lost the sense of effort because we're so afraid of earning our salvation. But Philippians says we ought to work this 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 big and broad and beautiful grace of God that is appropriated in our lives through faith. We ought to work out in our lives what that means. We ought to enter into some effort to see how does this play out in my life? What can I do to begin to live into this great truth? This great truth, the hope that we've been saved Into is this hope that God promises to redeem the world, the the creation, and all who will place their faith in Him. A full redemption of our bodies, not just being evacuated, but redemption, liberation, healing. We have not, we have communicated salvation as though we are saved out of something. When in fact, the Bible actually says we have been saved into something. We've been saved into this great hope. And yet all the time we talk about salvation as though we've been saved out of something. We talk about salvation as avoiding something. We've been saved out of hell when actually the Bible talks about we've been saved into relationship with Christ. And then we ought to go about the work Of effort and working that out and what that means in our lives. And what I want to say to you is this. Once we have received the great salvation from God, who places us in a much broader context, not just between me and God, but a much broader context of redemption in the world that places me in right relationship with God, once we've worked that out through faith, what it means is this I must learn by the power of the Spirit in my life, how to live in ways that fit into God's plan of salvation for the world. You see, your salvation has a particular kind of context. That's what we've we've, we've totally, we've taken salvation and we've removed it from any kind of context. It's just a transaction. Just say the right words, say the right prayer and you're good to go. That doesn't have any context, but the Bible always places your personal salvation inside of a larger context. And so what we need to do, and part of the effort and the working out of our own salvation, is saying, now that I've experienced this on a deeply personal level, what does it mean for me to fit inside the larger context of salvation that God is doing in the world? Does that make sense? Sort of. We'll work on it. And so how do I believe by faith that healing is mine? How do I believe by faith that in Christ I am already liberated of the things that bind me? That's part of the effort of working out our own salvation. Well, I know know that I've thrown a lot at you today. And the truth is I don't feel like I've communicated it in ways um, that I had hoped. I don't feel like I've been as clear as I wanted to But I hope that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you've been able to understand and to grasp the good news of Jesus and that you've been able to come into contact with the beautiful grace of God and the far reaching scope of salvation. I promise you, we are far more broken than we have ever imagined. But thank God his grace is far more beautiful than we could have ever hoped for. And so I leave you now in the hands of the Holy Spirit who will hopefully speak to you and work in your lives to come in contact and get a hold of this truth and apply it to our lives. Thanks for listening to the Emmaus Road podcast. We hope this message has been encouraging to you. If you'd like to support the ministry of Emmaus Road, you can do so online. Just visit theroadfc.org and click online giving.